God's plan for relationships and marriage and family. It's kind of the broad topic. We're going to talk specifically about marriage. And uh, I want to begin with describing the relationship that I have with my wife, Trinette. So this summer, it'll be 30 years ago that we met. And also this summer, it will be our 27th anniversary. We dated for three years, we got married, and the joke that I always tell is we'll be celebrating 19 years of wedded bliss on our 27th anniversary, because not all the years are that great, you know what I mean? Like, you got some years in there that wouldn't be wedded bliss. There's difficulties and struggles, and people look at the pastor and his wife and think, oh, it just must be nice to have such a wonderful relationship, and let me tell you a little bit of our story. We got married a long time ago, and we just really didn't have much of a clue. We kind of just let life happen, and it ended up not happening all that well because we unwittingly found ourselves kind of at the opposite of God's plan. We got to the point where we really just didn't like each other at all. We just didn't get along. And to explain the depth of this, my wife and I were committed to the relationship. We had decided that we had taken vows before God, and as Christian people, we were not going to ever even mention the D word. However, both of us deeply, earnestly yearned for the other one to die. So (laughs) then we would be free. We talked about this later, and she's like, you too? And I'm like, you too? What? I remember one night, you know, it's snowy, the roads are slippery, she's out running errands, we're living out in the country, and then here come the headlights in the driveway, and I'm like, well, I guess it's not today. (laughs) So that was, hey, that's just how it works, right? I mean, they are laughing for a reason. So... Now, the problem is, is that people think Christian marriage is we've made the commitment to stick through this horrible, horrible thing, and we're not going to quit it. But really, Christian marriage is a wonderful, beautiful, life-giving, glorious thing from God that's a gift to us, and we want to be able to grab hold of that. So it's not just about sheer perseverance and putting up with hardship. It's about finding God's good plan and the beauty of what he has for us. And so that's basically what we're going to talk about today. One of the things that sort of set us up for problems was how we grew up. I grew up the youngest in the family, so I was the baby. And I learned early on that if you just smiled, everything worked out. I didn't have to plan anything. I didn't have to worry about anything. You know, if I was going to get in trouble, just flash the smile. Oh, you know, and it all worked out. I didn't have to do anything. And so I didn't learn to take control of the situation, to lead, to, uh, to see what needed to happen. I just went along for the ride and smiled and everybody took care of me. It was a wonderful, wonderful existence. And then my wife, however, was the oldest in the birth order. And she was several years older than her little brother and her little sister. And so when she would talk about her brother and sister, she would refer to them as the kids. So she wasn't one of the kids. Her brother and sister were the kids. So it was mom and dad, and it was little mommy and the kids. 
She took care of the kids. She learned how to boss people around and make sure everybody did what they were supposed to do and be in control and make it happen. And so we got together and it just fit like a glove. I walked around and smiled and deferred and like, hey, whatever you want to do. And she called the shots and made it happen. And it was good for a while. But then after some time passed, she's thinking, how come this wet noodle of a man won't stand up for anything? You know, he's just smiles and says, whatever you want to do, honey, is cool. She's getting frustrated. And I'm thinking, would she just stop talking for a while and not tell me what to do all the time? Like, come on. While I'm, yes, dear, that sounds great. Whatever you want to do. So then I'm getting more and more upset and she's getting more and more upset. And the relationship is eroding to the point that I described earlier, to where we really were not getting along at all. And then we realized that the scriptures have things to say about how relationships should work and that we were living in the absolute opposite of God's plan. And so we decided to switch things around. And when we switch things around, you know, there have been different seasons of awakening in our relationship and things getting better. And then you sort of settle in and then you reawaken. And then, you know, there's those ups and downs over time, but you sort of learn and grow a little bit more each time you go through the cycle. And so now I feel like we're starting to catch on, but we're just getting into the place where we can start to have it work. In fact, we're at the best place we've ever been at in our relationship, I would say in the last two years. Five years ago, not so good. Three years ago, there was a rough patch there. Last couple years have been pretty good. You know, we're enjoying each other's company. We don't want the other one to die. Happy when they come home. It's just a good thing. It's way better. Let's look at what we saw in the scriptures and what we decided to put into practice by faith. And this is some of the most, I would say, misunderstood and abused scriptures in the Bible. And so it's difficult to talk about, but we want to talk about this and make sure that we get to a good place because God is good. He's got a good plan. So we're going to start with a scripture right before the classic scriptures on marriage. And I think it's important because The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and he's talking about how the church people should relate to each other. So he's talking about various different types of relationships. He starts with how church people should relate to each other, and then he starts dealing with marriage and different things and parents and all that. So let's go to Ephesians 5.21. It starts with this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So what this means is that As we all are going through life, we should prefer one another, honor one another above ourselves, help each other out when the other person needs some help, yield to the other person. And if we all did that, wouldn't that be a wonderful, beautiful thing? Is this an ugly, yucky verse? No, it's kind of nice. How about the next one? Verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Same concept, just with a specific relationship being uh, put into focus, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. There's people right now who all of a sudden there's a little pit in your stomach and you're like, oh, where are we going to go with this? Why is that? Well, it's because of what I consider to be the, the great error with regards to understanding Christian marriage. It's probably 
the two great errors, error number one that we described is that it's about suffering through this horrible relationship till somebody dies. That's God's plan. That's a terrible error. No, it's not about that. It's about finding abundant life. And then error number two in understanding Christian marriage is that the husband gets to be the bully of the home and act with impunity. That's the error number two. He's the head of the home and gets to be a jerk and nobody can say anything about it because that's what Jesus wants. And that, of course, is ridiculous. One of the things that we're going to cover in a couple of weeks is we're going to talk about, as we're going through the book of Acts in the early church, the old covenant, the law of Moses, and the new covenant. In the new covenant, it isn't about learning the rules and following the rules. It's about getting it. It's about catching on to the ways of God, that the Spirit teaches us things. The law is written on our hearts. We have the mind of Christ. We start to catch on. You know, everybody has things that they're good at, that they just naturally have a knack for. And the new covenant is to have a knack for the ways of God by the Holy Spirit, just to kind of be able to catch on, not to really not get it, not understand, but have a bunch of rules that you're trying to follow while you don't get it. That's kind of the old covenant with Moses is people not really catching the ways of God and having some rules and they still don't really catch it. And unfortunately, these things with regards to marriage have stayed in that old way of not having a knack for relationships, but having some rules and enforcing them in bizarre ways because you just don't really catch on. And what we want to do is catch on to God's plan for marriage so that we can live in this abundant life because it isn't about anybody getting to be a bully. The verse before was submit to one another. And that means that husbands submit too. Everyone is to submit to everyone. It isn't that somebody gets to be a bully and push people around. That's not how this works. It's that we all submit to one another, but there's a specific need in the marriage relationship for room for the man to be given in order to lead. And so let's continue to read some here. But before we do that, I want you to put on certain glasses. You know, we've got the fear glasses. You can read the scriptures in various ways. You read them in fear. You're going to interpret it a particular way. You read them with like super hyper detailed concepts. You're going to read them a certain way. Let's read these verses with these glasses on. What? does each person need in this relationship? And so if we read these from the perspective of what does the other person need, then we're going to be able to see it and catch on and get a knack for this rather than have rules that are misapplied and are kind of goofed up. And this is one of the sections of scriptures too where I wish we could take some verses out for certain people, like the wives submit to your husbands. I wish every Bible that a man read didn't have that in there. But only the ladies knew that. And the other part of what the men are supposed to do, that whenever the ladies opened the Bible, that wasn't in there. And we just saw that. Because what happens is, is people don't read the thing they're supposed to do. They read the thing the other one's supposed to do. And then they get like, oh, you're supposed to be doing that. Well, you're supposed to be doing that. And then they just fight over it. And that's not very helpful. What we want to do is do the thing we're supposed to do and then let the other one do the thing they're supposed to do, and then we can start walking into this abundant life and this good relationship, good Christian marriage. So let's read these three verses that have to do with the wives' responsibility. So again, 522, wives, submit to your husbands 
as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. So again, these verses have been distorted and uh, unfortunately have been abused. And so let's talk about that for a little bit so that we can get a sense of what's going on here. First of all, if we're going to look at it from the sense of what does the husband need? The bottom line is that God has made men with the need to be purposeful and to be respected. So the man needs to be respected And the wife then is told, basically, this is the long version of respect your husband. In the conclusion in verse 33, we'll get there as well. But he needs to be respected. Now, this has been distorted and confused again into the idea that the husband gets to be the bully of the home and nobody gets to say anything about it. And here's the primary error with regards to that is this. People have viewed, you know, the spiritual head of the home as an office that gives authority that that authority then can be abused. That's the concept. Oh, this is my position. I have a certain authority. I then can abuse this authority. Do you think that's God's plan? If we get a knack for this, it's, oh, I've got this authority. I'm going to abuse my authority. That, of course, would be a disaster. Here's what spiritual head of the home means, guys. It means that you have a responsibility that you will be held responsible for. You have something that you will be accountable to God for, and that is to be the spiritual head of the home, to be the one who is going to initiate spiritual growth with your spouse, with your children. You are the one who is going to drag your wife to church when she doesn't want to go. You're the one that's going to make sure that prayer happens with your kids that you're the one who's the spiritual head of the home. You are responsible for taking the lead and helping your family grow in their relationship with Christ. That's your job. You are responsible for that, and you will be held accountable for whether or not you do that. That's what spiritual head of the home means. It does not mean that you have authority that you can abuse. So that's all in the wife's responsibility. So guys, if you want to be respected, if in you God has put in you the need to be respected, Give her something to work with. Give her something to work with. Actually be the spiritual head of the home. The thing that gets really ugly is you have people who are clearly not the spiritual head of the home who now want to abuse the power of pretending they are and be the bully of the home. And that's just a hypocritical disaster. Now let's look and see what is the husband supposed to do. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Here is the responsibility. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loves the church and went to the cross to die for the sins of the world. Love your wife like that. So this is the responsibility of the husband. Love your wife with an epic love, a love that is described by the greatest love that has ever been seen in this creation, the love of Christ for a lost world. That's your job as the husband. Verse 26. And he did this to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So now Christ is my head. I submit to Christ. Does he diminish me? 
or lift me up. He lifts me up. I am not lessened by submitting to Christ. I am not diminished. I do not lose who I am by submitting to Christ. I actually get to receive who I am by submitting to Christ. I get to be who I was intended to be by submitting to Christ. I am lifted up, empowered, strengthened, and brought into a great place. And that's the same impact that the husband is to have on the wife through loving her with this epic love and building her up. Let's keep reading. Verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And here's the final word, the bottom line. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So we've got love and respect. Love your wife and, of course, respect your wife. Is Jesus disrespectful of the church? No. That's ridiculous. So if the model is Christ in the church, then the husband can't be disrespectful to the wife. The husband can't push down the wife. The husband can't insult the wife. It's like Christ in the church. Love and respect. Now, the wife is to respect and love. Respect the husband and love the husband because the order is different. The man needs to be respected and loved. The wife needs to be loved and respected. I heard somebody describe it this way. Imagine a man saying to his wife, honey, I respect you so much. You are such a great wife and you're a fantastic mother. I just have so much respect for the way that you're raising the kids, but I just don't love you. That would be a stab to the heart. And it is exactly the same if the wife were to say to the husband, oh, I just love you. You're so cute and funny and you warm my heart, but I just don't respect you. It's the exact same knife to the heart. And guys have had to just sort of walk through this life being disrespected and having to pretend it's okay. And it just does as much damage The disrespected husband suffers as much as the unloved wife. What we need is love and respect. For the wife to be loved with an epic love and to be respected, and for the husband to be respected and to be loved. When this is happening, both husband and wife will grow over time. They will get bigger and stronger spiritually, They'll be on a firmer foundation. You'll learn and grow. You guys, I'm sure, have all seen in in Walmart or Super One, you've got the old man who's pushing the grocery cart, and he's kind of bent over and walking slow, and there's his wife just chipping in his ear. If she was different, he'd be six inches taller. It just it wears you out. And the unloved wife is the same thing. It's a disaster that as the years go by, The person shrinks and shrinks. What we are to do is to love our wives with an epic love and respect our husbands. Now, when do we do this? After they deserve it or before? Before, which of course is a good reason to choose wisely, right? If you're not married, 
Find someone you can love with an epic love. Find someone you can respect. Now, if you are married, it's time to just settle with who you got, right? Because that ship has sailed. Don't go shopping after the wedding. Do that before. So love and respect is where it's at. I really believe we can get a good hold of this, but how many people are suffering with rough relationships? How many people have never had a good example and they're coming up, they're young people, and they're thinking, I don't want to get married. This is a disaster. All it does is bring suffering and pain. And the reality is, is there is a beautiful thing from God that is holy matrimony. How do we get there? We get there the same way as with any of the other things of God. You start right now. If you're eight years old, you start being a person who can live inside love and respect. If you're 50 years old, you try to learn the ways of love and respect today. Because if you're like, oh, I'll change later. Yeah, you're not going to. Change now. One of the things that's really important, we need to believe in love and respect. There are people that have never seen that. Love and respect, when distorted, becomes lust and violence. If someone needs to be respected and all there is is disrespect, what happens next? Violence. If someone is unloved and they start looking for love in all the wrong places, what happens? Love and respect, when distorted, become lust and violence. And there are people that have lived inside the world of lust and violence and they don't even believe it's possible to get to love and respect. Let me tell you, love and respect are from God and they are attainable, but it takes two. Love and respect is from God, and it's attainable in the marriage relationship. How do we get there? We start now. How do we get there with uh, some helpful steps along the way? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to map this onto Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5-7, through 7, which is basically an eight-step practical guide for advancing into the plan of God for your life. And you can apply this to anything. We're going to apply it to marriage relationships. You can apply this to absolutely anything. You can apply it to running a business. You can apply it to marriage. You can apply it to learning a musical instrument. It doesn't matter what it is. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Let's read through the whole thing, and then we'll go through it chunk by chunk. So Second Peter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, and that reason is that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Christ, so we can have it. We can have abundant life. And so in order to be able to attain that, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. Here's our eight steps that we are going to map getting into a good marriage relationship onto. And again, this can be applied to anything else. So step number one, back to verse five. Step number one, add to your faith. So it starts with faith. There was a time in our relationship with me and Trinette where we had zero expectation that our lives would get better. We were just hoping the other one would die. There was no faith for this to get better. It was our only option that we could see was get out. And the only way to get out was because of till death do us part, yearn for the demise of the other person. However, if we were able to have faith and believe for God's plan A marriage, a life-giving wonderful thing, something that's described by Proverbs 18.22, 
Proverbs 18.22 says this, He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Ah, isn't that wonderful? What about Proverbs 21.9? Let's look at Proverbs 21.9, which says, Better to live on a corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Which way are the scriptures pointing on this? The Bible says you're better off on the roof than in the house if the wife is hard to deal with. All right? But it also says that finding a wife is a good thing. So what are we going to believe for? The reality is, is what we believe for, we'll be able to grab a hold of if it's a good thing or if it's a bad thing. If we put our faith on our lives falling apart, what do you think is going to happen? Life is going to fall apart. There are people who they walk into a room full of strangers and they believe in their heart that no one in that room is going to like them. What do you think happens? Nobody likes them. There are people that walk into a room full of strangers and think, hey, a bunch of new friends I've never even met yet. What do you think happens to them? They got a whole bunch of new friends they never even met yet. Now they're having a good time. What we put our faith on has a tendency to come to pass. And so if we put our faith on our marriage being terrible and never getting better, what do you think is going to happen? But if we put our faith on understanding that God's got a good plan, he didn't put me here on this earth to just suffer so that I could appreciate heaven better, but so that I could grab hold of abundant life, so that I could have the blessings of God now and everlasting life in the kingdom of God forevermore. Like, this is a good thing. And so how can we grab hold of that positive thing? So we start with faith, believing that the marriage can be healed, believing that we can find the right person and be the right person so that we can live in a world of love and respect and have a good Christian marriage according to the proper template Not the bully template, but the love and respect template. So we start with faith. The second thing in 2 Peter 1.5 is goodness. Now, goodness sounds different than what the Greek word. The Greek word is manliness. Add to your faith manliness. The literal word is manliness. And a good translation for us would be man up. It's, okay, you got faith, now put your feet on it. You got some faith, start doing it. You got faith, start putting it into practice. So Ephesians 5.33 said, love and respect, that the husband is to love his wife and the wife is to respect her husband. That means you start putting it into practice. Okay, I'm believing God for this marriage to get better. I better start doing the things God says. So I better start loving my wife. She might not be very lovely. I don't like her right now, but I know her love languages and I'm going to start speaking them because somebody's got to put something good into this relationship rather than just the negative reactions that have been going on for the last several years. So I'm going to start putting love into it. And she says, you know what? He makes dumb decisions all the time. I'm going to start putting respect in it anyway. I'm going to start trusting him. I'm going to start believing in him. I'm going to put respect into this relationship anyway. You start putting feet on that faith. So we start with faith, then we get goodness, which is the strength to do the right thing. The next thing is knowledge. So we start with faith, develops into goodness because we start putting it into practice. Then you start learning something. I know the difference between a disrespected, unloved wife who's neglected and how she treats a man versus a wife who's loved and appreciated and what she brings to the marriage. I know the difference between the two because I've been both of those guys. So I start to learn something. This is John chapter 8. John 8, 31 and 32. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus says, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. This means if you have the 
the manliness, the strength to do the right thing. If you actually do what I tell you, then you really are my disciples. And verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Did you know there was a then in front of you will know the truth? It isn't that the truth sets you free. It's that if you learn the ways of God and put them into practice, the light bulbs will start going off. You'll start getting some knowledge and understanding of how this works. And then you'll know the truth and it will set you free. The next thing is self-control. Self-control is fourth. How many people in your service to Christ start with self-control? Start with faith. And then the strength to do the right thing. And then we start to catch on. Then we have something to protect that we need to not destroy. So we need to have the strength to not do the wrong thing. Now husbands have the self-control to not do the wrong thing. Wives have the self-control to not do the wrong thing. You're starting to get something beautiful to protect. Now it makes sense that don't do that starts to make sense because you see the thing that's ruined and destroyed and hurt by doing that. Now we've got self-control. So again, husbands, what would self-control be? Okay, you want to say something unloving and disrespectful, don't say it. Instead, change your words and say something life-giving. You know, self-control, get off the porn. Porn is not love and respect, it's lust and violence. Don't train your mind that way. It's going to cause you serious problems. Wives, self-control. Don't nag him and belittle him and laugh at him. Don't you do that. That's going to hurt him and do damage. Self-control. Next one, perseverance. Why do you think perseverance is in the list? Because this will happen slower than you want. We're 27 years in, and I feel like we've made some progress, but it feels like there's like this huge, way more to it that we could grab hold of 27 years in. I feel like we're just getting started and starting to wake up to some of this stuff. Perseverance. Yes, because it always takes longer than you think. It always seems like it's not working. We're not getting there. I can't believe we're going through this again, but we must persevere. Then after perseverance comes godliness. Here's the turn where we start to see the good thing happen. Godliness, that means that the marriage is becoming set aside for God and God's plan is starting to come forth in it. God's character, God's ways That is in the marriage. Now the wife is starting to feel fully loved and she's growing as a person. The husband is starting to feel respected and like he's gaining confidence in himself to be the spiritual head of the home. He's praying for his kids. He's praying for his wife. And these things are happening and we're seeing godliness, the plan of God coming to pass. We're bearing fruit from the first five steps and good things are beginning to come. Then we get brotherly kindness. In verse 7, so to godliness, we add brotherly kindness. This is the word Philadelphia. It is that we are bonded together in a brotherly love. Do you know husbands and wives can be friends? I've heard people say various things like, you know, love is a choice. And, uh, well, I don't like you right now, but I love you. And these things, and I just think, man, that's, that's shallow and hollow, and I don't know what that even means. You know, it means that we're just going to have something that isn't nearly the fullness of God's plan. We're getting to be friends, you know, getting to be connected. You know, your spouse can be your best friend. Oh, my goodness. Not if they're unloved or disrespected. Not if you don't have the self-control to not hurt them all the time. 
But once we get there and we add those things on, we can expect that kind of a bond. We can share with each other, be there for each other. And then the last one is love. This is agape, the God kind of love. And of course, in a marriage relationship, going from brotherly love to godly love, and in a marriage context, all the things that are connected with that, that are part of that, are part of God's beautiful, wonderful plan. Doesn't that sound nice? What if, as Christians, we could get there? Your life would be so much better. (laughs) And our testimony of Christ to the world would be so much more powerful. Where does this all start? Maybe you're very patient and you've been putting up with this and it's just not a topic that's on your radar because it's not something that you're dealing with. But there are things that we're all dealing with. There are things that we need to grow into and grab hold of in our life. Where does it start? Where do we begin the path for abundant life? Where do we get on that narrow road that leads to life? It starts with faith. It starts with a pure believing that God is on our side. Our closing scripture is going to be Hebrews 11.6. This is the second definition of faith in the chapter here in Hebrews chapter 11. I think it's an important one to look at. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Is it possible to please God without faith? So then what is it? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and. Is faith in God believing that he exists? That's an important part. If you think God doesn't exist, it's going to be very difficult to put your faith in him. However, thinking he's real is not sufficient for faith. You know, the demons believe that God is real. They haven't put their faith in him. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. When we come to God in faith, we believe he's there. He hears us, that we have a connection with God, that he's there and that he is our rewarder. That when we go to him and we ask him for something good, he doesn't give us a snake or a scorpion or a stone, but he gives us wisdom and his spirit and his power. And so we're going to start with faith. What do you need faith in? I want you to look in your heart. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, then the first thing to do is believe that you can have that and that it's good. Put your faith in that. If you need to get dug out of a financial hole, believe that God is our provider. Start with faith in that. Then go through the progression. If you need your marriage healed, Start with faith in that. But we have to look and see where is our faith? Are we really trusting God or not? And then be honest and get to that place. Don't just pretend to have faith. Build your faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of God.